Michelle, I'm going to pick on you again because you said that you've been thinking about what kindness might look like. Um, do you have any pr- practical examples that's come to you? or You can uh, nudge, nudge, nudge a neighbour if you like. Um, I need to phone a friend here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have such a bad short-term memory that here this incident has been on my mind so much and how does that look practically and the people I deal with day to day and how does that affect my witness? How does that affect the way I speak about people? But to give you a concrete example, now I'm struggling. Obviously, in the news at the moment, there's been a lot about how boys treat women, and uh, we've touched on that in our own evening series. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of uh, exemplary activity in the book of Ruth of how men can use their strength, their presence, to be kind to women, not in a condescending, chauvinistic kind of way, but to be kind to women rather than uh, to threaten or make women feel unsafe. And uh, how male leaders can do the same thing to model to other men and ensure other men are treating women with respect as well. And uh, it's, it's a great model uh, for us to, to follow and to think through. I just want to point the dots to the One way which it did help me was just in the, the context of Darren and I being co-guardians of someone who has been part of our church, an older person, and we had to take it to a doctor's appointment. And just, it's full on. Thank you. 
that's in turn prompted me with a memory. Um, uh, I remember when I was at Barara uh, in ministry there, uh, all the young, I was so out of place in terms of culture uh, with Barara, even though it's where I grew up, kind of. Um, they were all dirt bikers, the young adults, and uh, loved doing all those kinds of extreme outdoor activities. And uh, I like the book and uh, being inside. Um, uh, but what I, it took me two years to realise that this was going on because they never told anybody about it. Uh, but these young adults, they're all on their quad bikes, their dirt bikes, doing all that kind of stuff. But once a month, they'd put all of that aside and take this um, mentally uh, uh, handicapped girl, um, a disabled girl, uh, out to lunch uh, each month. No one else was looking out for her, but they just spent some time with her. They left all of their own personal hobbies and activities aside, and they never told anyone. They just said, and here's a way we can be kind and care to this girl. And uh, they just went and did it. And uh, it's a great encouragement that this kind of kindness is not for when I grow up or for when I'm older or when I have more time. It's for all of us of all ages, and we do it in different ways. Um, but uh, it's an exciting thing to be able to imitate our God in that respect. Let me pray, and uh, then we can look at 1 Thessalonians. Yeah. Uh, death is one of those inevitabilities uh, that we don't like to talk about and yet we all know is there. And sometimes it can keep us awake at night uh, as we uh, wonder at what will happen, what will happen after death, and there's a fear with it. And the Apostle, uh, uh, the author of the Hebrews says that one of the joys of Christianity is that we can be set free from that fear of death. Because death is not the end for us. But as you chat with friends, as you chat with family, as you watch your TV programs, whether it be the news or you're on social media or you're looking at your memes or whatever it is you're doing, uh, reading books uh, for old school people, um, and uh, uh, the TV and films that you, uh, that you watch, uh, all kinds of different ideas of death are presented. Uh, when I was uh, 22, my grandmother died. Uh, she'd been ill for a very long time, but my family fell apart. And uh, as a 22-year-old, because I was the one in ministry training, um, uh, it was left for me to organise the funeral and to conduct the funeral and organise all the details around uh, uh, her death. Uh, the funeral director... Uh, that we were involved with uh, thought he was helping me by giving me some samples of what to do uh, in a funeral service. But every single thing that he gave me, page after page, poem after poem, sentence after sentence, reflected this idea that it was better for them to no longer be alive, that it was somehow a release from the suffering of this world and now they're on to something better. But there was no basis for it. There was no confidence in it. It was just sentimentalism. As Christians, we do believe there is something better after death. That there is a new life that comes after death. And that is so much better than the life we have now. But it's not based on sentimentalism. It's not based on a wishful thinking or an idea. It's based on the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. 
you will meet people who say that when we die, we just rot. Nothing happens. It's just the end. The body will rot and that's it. And that leads to a rather bleak view of life, doesn't it? What's the point of life? What's the point of existence? Why enjoy the things that we do? Why go through the pain and suffering that we do if the end is just to go to the worms? Others talk about death as being a release, a release of the spirit from the body. We exist in this body now, but the body somehow holds us back. It constrains us, it constricts us. And while they won't admit it, a lot of the sexual arguments that exist in our culture today assume that the body is somehow limiting of our being and that our spirit is our true being. And we wait for death to be released from that, to become spirits in a new existence. That's not the Bible's view. Our bodies are a part of who we are. So what are we, uh, what are we looking forward to then if our bodies are destined for death? Some people believe in a reincarnation. That we will come back again in a new life, in a different life in a different form, and the things that we've done in this life will determine whether we come back better or worse in our next cycle of living. There's a certain truth there as well, isn't there? That what we do in this life is worthy of judgment. But the Bible doesn't speak of reincarnation coming over and over again. It speaks of resurrection. And that resurrection is not just a resuscitation of our bodies. Lazarus rose from the dead, the little girl rose from the dead, but then they went and died again. No, when Jesus rose again, he rose no more to die. He rose immortal. And he is the first fruits, the down payment, the, but the beginning of the resurrection of all. And in Daniel chapter 12, that's promised that everyone from the dust of the earth will rise again and face God's judgment, some to everlasting life, some to judgment. As we come to a passage that speaks about death, it's important that we have the right background and ears on for what the Bible speaks about when it speaks about death. Death is not the end. We don't rot. Death is not but a cycle of reincarnation. Death is not a release of the spirit from the body, but rather death is the prelude to resurrection and judgment. But it's easy for us to talk about death in abstract terms. But for those of us who have experienced death in our own lives, we'll know how traumatic and difficult it is. I don't know whether you've ever had this experience or not walking around the city. As you walk around the city, there are these massive skyscrapers, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 storeys high. But in between them occasionally, you find a little alleyway. You notice those alleyways? They look a bit creepy because, you know, people do creepy things down them, possibly. Uh, or they spree rubbish down there and all that kind of stuff. And it's all covered in shadow and there's, it, there's just an absence of people. And while the hubbub of the city is all around, if you just walk down one of those alleys for 10, 20 metres, all of a sudden the hubbub dies away. 
you're in the midst of all these people, thousands of people, and yet you can feel totally isolated and cut off. And death is a bit like that. The people we love, they're still there in front of us. They're in the casket, they're in the ground. They're close, but we're completely cut off from them. We're close, but we can no longer hug them, touch them, look them in the eye, hear their voice, feel the warmth as they enfold us. There is an absence of relationship that death brings that is utterly traumatic. And we don't know when it's going to come. We live with an expectation that we will live forever, or at least live to a good age. Cherry Brook is now one of the uh, most long-lived suburbs in the country. The average age of death in Cherry Brook is about 87 years now, uh, which is about third or fourth uh, in the country for longevity in terms of average age of death. You're in the lucky country, the blessed country, the, the, the seemingly endless days of life. But we know that it doesn't last forever and we know that it can cut off at any moment. Someone at Morning Church this morning received a text. Their mid-40s year old friend died last night. Last night we were having a dinner with a couple and we were chatting about his best friend, his best man at his wedding, who last November dropped dead at church in his early 40s in front of his children. Parents being diagnosed with cancer, children being diagnosed with cancer, the looming spectre of death is hidden by our media, it's hidden in the world's eyes. We talk about statistics with COVID, but we rarely see the reality. But it's there and it can scare us. Paul offers, God offers something better in this letter. Because our experience of a death does not lead to a grief with no hope. But for those of us who are in Jesus, you can see there, chapter 4, verse 13, and that those who are asleep, that's his kind of metaphor for death. That, uh, he wants to let us know about it so that we might not grieve as others do who have no hope. The particular issue that the Thessalonians had was uh, seemingly they thought, that, well, if Jesus is going to return, what happens to those who die before he returns? Does that mean they're lost forever? They've died, but he hasn't come back yet. So how are they supposed to experience the salvation that he's promised? But Paul says, no, they're not lost. Though they might die, they are kept safe by Jesus. They are kept safe by him. So he says to you there uh, in chapter 14, uh, 4, verse 14, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. I de we declare to you by a word from the Lord, this isn't just Paul's guessing, it isn't his random reflections, this is a word from God himself, that we who are alive when Jesus returns will not precede those who have already died, but rather the dead in Christ will rise 
and those who are alive when Jesus returns will join them. There is a word from the Lord. And there is a word to encourage one another with. As we are beset by thoughts about death, as we tremble in the face of death, here is a word that sets us free. Those who die in Christ are not lost. Those who die in Christ are not lost to Christ and the salvation that he gives. But rather, when, we ret when he returns, they will rise from the dead and those who are alive when he returns will join them. And therefore, we will be with the Lord in the air. He gives us courage in the face of death. But he also gives us courage for the present. To live life now with hope and with confidence. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, we don't have anything, uh, you don't, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He talks about what's going to happen when Jesus returns. He gives them courage in chapter 4 in the face of death, but here he gives them courage because of the future. And the future is that Jesus will come back suddenly, when no one expects. No one knows the day or the hour, but he will return. And when he returns, it will be sudden, like a thief in the night. Unexpected, unforeseen, but we know that it's coming. The return of the Lord Jesus is not cause for fear for those who belong to Jesus. You see there in the passage that it is cause for fear for those who don't belong to him. But for we who do belong to Jesus, it's actually a cause for hope. And it's a cause for endurance. And it's a cause for perseverance. And it's a cause for eager waiting while we wait for Jesus to return. Because as Jesus is in the light, we as children of the light, children of the day, we live like those who are in the day and in the light. We don't do the deeds that are hidden in shame, that we try to keep secret, that we're afraid people will find out about, that we are embarrassed about, that uh, would ruin our reputations, that would ruin, but rather we pursue the deeds of the light, not to parade it in front of people, but to live humble, godly lives, rejoicing in the light that God has brought us into. We belong to the day, verse 8. So let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He gives us courage in the face of death. He gives us courage because of the future. But notice how he ends each of those sections. Chapter 4, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. It took me a long time to realise this, and uh, it actually wasn't... It's all about Barara tonight. It wasn't until I was doing ministry in Barara that I realised uh, what the word encourage actually meant. Have you ever thought about the word encouragement? Christians use it a lot. That was an encouraging conversation. Um, but what do people mean by it? 
what I realized is that more often than not, the way I was using it and the way my friends were using it and the way people in church were using it is that it's a conversation that made me feel good at the end. That was an encouraging conversation. I had a really encouraging conversation with the girls at youth group tonight. What it meant was we had a good chat and I felt good and they felt good at the end of it. Now, it might be great to feel good, but that's not what the Bible speaks about when it speaks about encouragement. If you remove the E-N at the beginning, what's the word? It's about courage. Having the bravery to do something despite fear, despite threat, despite uncertainty. Having the courage to stand up. Having the courage to do something even though it might be hard. Encouragement is what we do to give one another courage to do those things. Engendering, instilling, imbibing, exhorting, all those kinds of words to give courage to one another. And we do need courage in the face of death. But where does that courage come from? In this passage, it comes from each other. Brothers and sisters, we can't encourage one another with hope if we don't be vulnerable with, if we aren't vulnerable with one another about our uncertainties about death. And that takes real relationships, and that takes trust, and it takes vulnerability. But as we open ourselves up to each other, it may sound awkward at first, it may feel uncomfortable at first, but here's where we use the scriptures to give one another courage, to give one another hope. Death is scary. Death is traumatic. It may come on us slowly, it may come upon us suddenly. It may leave us bereaved and grieving. But, as we open up to one another, so we give an opportunity for people to give us courage. That death is not the end. We're not going to rot. We're not going to be released. We're not going to be resuscitated or reincarnated, but we're going to be resurrected. Just like the Lord Jesus. But it also gives us courage in the present as we think about the return of the Lord Jesus. I've been watching a TV show recently. It's called Seal Team. Has anybody been watching that? Liam, thank you. Jess, thank you. Uh, it's uh, me trying to live my youth again because it's got David Foreigners in it who was from Angel and Buffy uh, for those who are that old and, uh, and Bones as well for those who watched that in there other years. Um, uh, but one of the things he has, he's a SEAL team operator and uh, he says he has his three-foot box. His life exists in a three-foot uh, box. He doesn't make any decisions beyond the three feet in front of him. He just lives life to the moment, to the moment, to the moment, keeping his head down because that's the only way that he can survive. As Christians, there's a danger to that kind of living because in that you lose hope. In that, you lose purpose. God doesn't call us to keep our heads down, but to look up with hope. 
some of you are nearer now to the day of glory than when you first became a Christian. Some of you have only just started out in the Christian life. But whether it is but a few days, a few weeks, a few years, or whether it's decades, God calls us to wait. And you can't wait if you're not looking. You imagine going to the doctor's surgery, everyone waits at the doctor's surgery, right? You know the experience, you get there on time and then 40 minutes later you get in to see the doctor. But if you turn up 10 minutes late, you know, woe to you. Um, uh, it's a lot of waiting and there's things to do while you're waiting, aren't there? You can read the magazine or these days everyone's just on their phone, um, playing their game or reading the news or scrolling Facebook for something that's not an advertisement but actually something meaningful from a friend or whatever it is. But when the doctor calls, you don't say, hang on, hang on a minute, I've just got to finish my game. You don't say, hang on, hang on a minute, I just want to finish this great article I'm reading in this yachting magazine that I've never read in my life before. It's, no, you're waiting for the doctor. So when the doctor comes, you get up immediately. Don't lose sight of the fact that we're waiting. It would be absurd to go to a doctor's surgery just to read the magazines, right? It would be absurd to go there because it's got better Wi-Fi and I'll just sit here and play my games on my phone. You go there because you're there to see a doctor to get help and you're waiting. The Christian life is about waiting. And we need one another to have courage to keep waiting. And this is why each other is so important yet again. To remind each other, hey, I think you're getting your head down a bit. You're not seeing what's actually before you. You're getting caught up with the world. Your schooling, your university, your degree, your work, pursuing relationships. You're getting caught up in this world of pursuing uh, greed of pursuing the things that the world loves. Sport has become your idol, or whatever it is has become your idol. You need to lift your head up and remember that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Therefore, wait. Don't be distracted by idols. Don't be distracted by passions and lusts of the flesh, but rather pursue the deeds of the light because you're waiting. Brothers and sisters, death is a reality and it is a fearful one. But for those in Christ, we have courage, we have hope, and we need one another to hear that hope. The return of Jesus is sure and certain. Therefore, we are not idlers in this world, but we are waiters, patiently waiting. And we need one another to remember that vision and perspective. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. That he is coming back. And when he comes back, that we will be resurrected with him to eternal life and relationship with you. Please, Father, may we not be afraid in the face of death, but trust Jesus.
please may we not forget Jesus' return, but wait patiently and eagerly. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.